Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Atom Podcast. I am your host, Ollie Thompson, and today I'm joined by CEO of Velox, John Butler. How are you doing, John? Good. How are you doing? I'm not bad, not bad at all. So um, I'm going to do a brief introduction into John. John graduated in the UK. He's a Brit before making the, um, the jump overseas. He has spent over 20 years in the world of finance and banking with the likes of Goldman's and RBS and has since become CEO of Velox, who he will tell us a lot more about um, in the future. What I want to start on though, John, is your journey into banking. You graduated from Birmingham and you put the rucksack on and, and you went traveling to Asia, right? Um, yeah, that, that, that's right. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, the, the idea was to, um, was to go traveling around Asia, but um, we never made it beyond Hong Kong. <laughs> Nice. Um, yeah, where um, um, I um, was a, uh, a cocktail barman in, in Rick's Cafe, which I don't think is still there in, in, in TST, Chimsai Choi. And um, yeah, the, uh, one, of the, uh, one of our um, clients was setting up a quantitative trading desk at NatWest Markets and uh, needed, a, needed a developer. And um, yeah, the rest, they say, is history. And then, so they turned to, they looked around the bar, saw the guy shaking up the, uh, the mojito at the front and thought, that's our guy. That's the C++. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, back in, back then, this was 96, right? There, um, um, for this, for the subsidiaries that were out in Hong Kong, you know, there wasn't a lot of Western developers out there, right? So it was, you know, it wasn't, it was, um, the backpacking, the, the people that went, went actually through backpacking and cause it was a massive, cause all the, back then all the bars were staffed by, by students, basically yeah. British students, because it's the British colony. So actually, it was it was actually a well trodden path of hiring talent, <laughs> which is going nice. around the bars and trying to figure out who works there. That's uh, that's actually can do something. How things have changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so we um, so you got approached. You joined RBS at the time, NatWest, um, and then did they they got you say you got pulled out by. Yeah, they get by yeah, they got Goldman? bought out by um, uh, Deutsche. You know, so okay. I mean, my career is kind of full of lucky, um, lucky kind of, um, or I guess you, I guess you make your own luck, or you make take advantage of the luck you get. But you know, now when I joined, I joined Wheelock NatWest, and NatWest Markets at the time decided that they wanted to kind of like take on the world, and NatWest Markets actually hired like all of the the, the great and the good from Morgan Stanley, Morgan Stanley Equities. Nice. So I like straight out of kind of my first job, I was working with all these guys that basically built kind of equity trading technology, like in the late nineties at, at Morgan Stanley. And uh, which was, which was, which was, which was still, you know, still look back at as just like, just an incredible learning experience. And, um, um, but then that was markets ran out of money, you know, because they, they couldn't, they couldn't deliver on the revenue and they sold themselves. They sold basically equities to Deutsche and they sold fixed income to um, to RBS, mm -hmm. and um, yes, I then became part of Deutsche, and then Deutsche moved me to the US, where I again another lucky coincidence. I was running technology for program trading, which was it back in kind of late again late nineties when program trading was really the first business that um, the first business that like completely depended on technology. That's just you know you couldn't do it without technology. Your your edge. The reason why clients traded with you was because you had a better grasp of technology, and um, and then from there I moved to uh, to Goldman um, to um, 
to help build out their program trading infrastructure. And that was like 2001. And you ended up MD head of equities tech, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I spent two stints at Goldman, kind of about 15 years in total. Um, I was running, at the end of the first stint, I was running equity technology. Um, and um, then second time around, I was um, um, ops technology. So got to, um, you know, after doing the front office, got to take a look at the, the back office side of things. Nice. So you had the well-rounded experience across the tech stack and then obviously Velox came as a result of, of all this experience you've had. But arguably when you and I spoke before, Velox version one was, was created 20 years ago, right? In terms of, yeah. I guess, the offering. And, and yeah. it was only until 2018 that you actually joined ex-colleague and then when it did it. Yeah, I mean, Velox is, is um, aside from the, the bits in that I did in operations, I mean, my career has just been trading technology. That's just what I've always done. Um, um, and that's, you know, um, and, and, you know, the point of Velox was to try to, we created Velox to try to help solve like a big industry problem, which was the, the, the fact that, you know, the technology on trading desks is actually pretty old, you know? Yeah. And, and so um, just for the listeners, Velox, in case you don't know, it's an application platform to make it fast and easy as possible for the front office developers to build these trading applications. That's so that's what, <laughs> there you go. Um, and so that's what, that's what John's built and that's what it's there to do. Um, and so, yeah, go on, carry on with, with what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's weird. It's a little bit, it's a little bit um, kind of contradictory because of so much money gets spent on technology within investment banks, but it gets, well, how I describe it, it gets, it gets spent in kind of islands that disconnected islands. So there'll be huge investment, very deep, but in a very focused area. And the rest, the rest is, is, um, um, is, you know, is kind of, is, is kind of, kind of ignored. Um, um, and, and even where there has been significant investment, there hasn't really been much of a modernization program. And partly that's because it's bloody hard, right? I mean, it's almost like that. It's like the, the analogy of trying to change the, the engines on an airliner, you know, when you're midway across the Atlantic and, you know, you've got 400 passengers on board. That's kind of what it's like to keep modernizing a trading, a trading system, right? I mean, it, these, these things have to work, right? The, the regulatory risk um, is just huge if you get it, if you, if you get it wrong. So um, what, what consequently what's happened is the technology in front office has, has really fallen behind um, where other industries are, where you, know, you use the consumer technology that we all use every day. And so Velox is, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's basically Velox was about um, finding, you know, helping clients to kind of fix that problem, which was giving them an infrastructure that is kind of futuristic. So, you know, if you kind of had a blank piece of paper, what would be kind of the most modern way or the best way that you could, you could build a, a trading system? So that's, at the moment, you know, that's now web-based, it's all cloud-based. It's got a lot of low-code apparatus around it to make it easy to change. Um, but also, you know, the key, th really the key thing is giving clients a way to modernize. So to actually get from what they currently have to where they want to get to, you know, our history is littered with, um, and you know, it's kind of why you see such a fragmented infrastructure today is because it's so hard to move from an old system to a new system. So with Velox, we were very conscious of giving people kind of the, the future infrastructure but are giving them a, a bridge, the ability to get from the old to the new. Um, and yeah, as, as, as you say, you know, this is not a, 
this is a the infrastructure itself is is kind of taking all the learnings from building six or seven different infrastructures over the, the last 20 25 years and then what i was going to say on that is you are you 15 years ago would have been a client of you today um in terms of That's you know correct. being at, at goldman so being in your own shoes 10 15 years ago at goldman's how come other firms weren't so proactive in, in doing this how, how come a firm like Velox can be so successful like what why have all firms gone down the same route of having such outdated tech is it is it similar to that airline um, analogy as you said like they just simply you can't just change it from scratch yeah i mean it, it, it's it's there's a whole bunch of different factors um, um but yeah so the the the, the uh, a healthy a uh, kind of a quick analogy is that is that kind of airliner you know um which is um um how do you change something while it's while it's still operating but um there's a few other things in there as well right so it's hard for um these are big projects and you know investment banking you know internally within investment banking everybody kind of like you know says how how hard it is or how bad we were at doing large projects actually it's the same everywhere every industry right once a project beget goes beyond a certain size and time frame you know, like let's say it's going to take three years to deliver on the investment and it's going to require multiple teams and 20, 30, 40 people. The chances of that project just never, never actually finishing is really, really high. So there's all these weird factors that go, that go on, right? Which is that, that, that kind of all add to this, this problem of modernizing. And, and, you know, I still think to this day, and I, you know, I've, I've spent some time now with other industries, the pressure on businesses within, within the front office, the pressure on individuals to generate revenue it's just immense and tech budgets are only so limited. And so you, you got this also this constant, um, you know, um, um, kind of pressure of um, offsetting forces, which is the business need to spend what money they've got on building new toys and for clients so they can generate more flow and generate more business. Um, but then on the flip side of that, you've got basically technology and management saying, well, you need to modernize, you need to modernize, you need to modernize. So there's all these headwinds that 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 um, 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 you know um, you know make it make it have made it made it really really difficult. And and do your clients invest nowadays? Do they pretty much invest more in John Butler's CV than they do in Velox itself? Because you've probably seen so many different aspects of this is now the way to do things. This is now the right. way to do things that you've now got the sort of formula is to, you know, you've seen it happen everywhere. You've seen it work every way, front to back, different ways. And this is how to do it best. Is that, is that sort of how Velux came about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely wouldn't say it's uh, all about all about me. <laughs> um, um, for a start, you know, Velux is, is, is um, there's three founders, um, um, Govin, Jaju, and, and, and Jason Yan, who, you know, so the three of us, you know, it's the three of us together. Um, I do think that, to your point, the technology, it's a combination of the technology and the people. Mm. Because if you're a, uh, a capital markets firm, then, um, you know, you've got probably got you've got two problems, right? One is you need you need the te technology, but two, you need to be able to kind of, you know, apply that technology in the right way in an efficient way. And so our experience um, helps a lot, you know, um, when when talking to clients about, you know, you know, helping them to get comfortable that we can give them the technology they need, but then we can also help them, um, you know, use it to solve the problems that they have. I think, I think certainly there is a unique set of 
challenges within capital markets. There's just so much pressure, right? As I was just saying, that that definitely, you know, being able to uh, empathize and, and understand those those challenges and those trade-offs um, is incredibly is incredibly helpful when you're when you're when you're selling into in, into clients. And when a client now buys or invests in, in something like Velox, how much can you actually do to help a firm as large as an investment bank, as an example, or you know, a sort of multi-million pound business? You can go in and, and take care of almost anything that they need technology-wise? No, no. I mean, we, we, we are, um, I mean, essentially what we're trying to do is give their developers, like front office developers, um, um, better tools to serve their business. Right. Um, and, um, you know, then in addition to that, we provide, you know, consultancy services, which is, you know, a minority part of the business, but we provide, you know, advice, consultancy services on how to apply, you know, our technology in the, in the right way. Um, um, but it varies, it varies dramatically across clients because it depends on, you know, um, who's involved on the client side, you know, where they have strength and weaknesses from a, from a, from a, from a, from a skill set perspective. Um, we, uh, you know, just as a business philosophy, um, and this is one of the great things about, and this is why FinTech is just doing so well, right. And why, um, why, you know, it's really helping the industry is we, we can be flexible, right. The larger kind of more traditional firms have a tendency to be one size fits all, which is, this is what we do. And this is what we don't do. And if, you know, and that's basically take it or leave it, you know, it's much easier for us to, to present, to be flexible and, and give a client what they need, exactly what they need, you know, yeah, in, in the way, you, in the way that they need it. You guys are a bridge, right? You're a yep. bridge. As, as, as when you and I spoke before, you use that as the analogy. And I thought it was a perfect way of saying, you say you're not coming in and ripping it all out from scratch yourself. You are providing a bridge between those people to allow them to do it more effectively, which is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, and, and look, you know, I mean, and, and uh, if you check out stuff that I've uh, posted on on LinkedIn and some of the articles I've written, I mean, there's there's terrible wastage in 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 probably in, in, in most industries, but in in capital markets where where systems become considered legacy for because they don't do a hundred percent of the things that they need to do. They do they do eighty percent perfectly well, but the twenty percent is where the business is right now, and so. Um, you have a tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, we believe quite strongly at Velox that you need to try to kind of maintain that eighty percent and just and just you know just spend the money on replacing the twenty percent. Yeah. You know, and our technology tries to by 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 dropping by being able to build on top of what's already there. Um, um, it um, you know it enables them to do that. And now I guess everything you've said so far is sort of built up to this point, but you, you work in capital markets. So it could be anything from, you know, banks, it could be funds, it could be vendors, but what you're pretty much saying is <clears throat> your, your job is to make money or your job is to be a bank as opposed to your job is to build technology. Yeah. You know, you are not a, you're not a technology firm. You are a financial firm. So do what you guys do best. And then where you need the support come to firms like us to support it. Yeah, and, and I think that's uh, where you're going, Ollie. I think is um, it's a really healthy thing that's happening in the industry, right? Which is and and, and uh, you know, 25 years ago, there just wasn't the the the, the vendor choices that there was today. So banks um, had to, you know, at SecDB at Goldman Sachs. I mean, it wasn't there wasn't the only way that you could come up with the idea and build it was yourself, right? Because it just it was totally innovative. 
Um, um, and so, you know, consequently, a lot of banks have a lot of infrastructure that they've built themselves, you know, and, and you know, as the world, as the, as the world has evolved and as the market's become competitive and, and as, as revenues have dropped and it's, you know, everything's started to get squeezed, um, the, you know, they've had to uh, basically go back to focusing as much as they can on what they're really, really good at and finding third parties to help them with things that they don't necessarily need to be good at. And I think fintechs and the rising, you know, the rise of the tech industry has kind of offset that, right? So now, you know, I remember, I mean, certainly for the vast majority of my career, people would look at you strangely if you kind of like were pushing external solutions, you know, to a to an internal problem. Um, um, and, um, uh, but that's just not the case anymore, right? I mean, I think, um, you know, capital, capital markets firms have come to the realization that, 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 that they don't, you know, the better technology gets built at technology firms <clears> and probably some of the, you know, certainly the talent is spread across the two these days. It's not just all, you know, all on Wall Street or all in the city of London. Spot on. I'm going to make you feel a bit old now. I like doing that to my guests. That's not hard um, to do. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I want to talk about the challenges because you've gone through an era where within the world of banking alone, like times have changed massively with technology, with everything. And yep. there's still a stigma. Hero to zero and back to hero again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, unfortunately, there's uh, me being on the, the side of recruitment and helping people in technology find new jobs. I hear it time and time again, or I used to a lot more people within finance thinking that the front office is the sexiest and best place to go. And it's only through time now that I've realized that, and you've obviously had that experience going back to Goldman yep. and seeing the other side of things that um, the back office is as integral to the, the performance of the business as the front office is. And the back office systems are probably the more outdated systems out of, out of all of them. I know how, how firms work, especially in the buy side, they have a priority list of what needs to get done first. And you know things that are typically more towards the back office normally fall down the list and more trading focused um, projects get done first. So. Is there been like an opportunity for you to almost revolutionize the way that back office systems are, make them even more sexy? Because if I speak to someone now in 2021 about working in a back office role, they're a lot more open to it than even in 2017, 2018. Yeah. How, um, how is that? How is that technology perceived now? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that. Um, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was guilty of this being brought up in the front office, and I mean, I guess everybody to a certain extent, you know, wherever you are, you, you think you're, it's hard to perceive um, what people are doing in other areas. And there was definitely a bit of arrogance that front office was, you know, where all the tough problems were. I, I witnessed firsthand and got to learn firsthand for five years, you know, doing ops tech at, at Goldman that, um, you know, that's just, just not true, right? I think that, um, in fact, I would argue that um, there's a, there's a, there's a, actually a, bigger amount of diversity and depth in the technical challenges that you have to solve in the back office than there is in the front office. You know, the front office is, um, the front office requires a different type of skill set because it's about being able to support a business, a trading desk in whatever that trading desk needs to be, you know, profitable that day or that week or that month. And so it's much more um, tactical, you know, and the technology needs to be, you know, and the technologists need to be more more tactical, which is why you see quants and strats, why you see that that kind of evolving and gaining and gaining gaining momentum, because it's much more about like you know, 
two week two week sprints of kind of let's can we do this to try to get more clients can we do this to take more edge out of this trade the real engineer some of the real engineering problems are in the back office right you know building a ledger uh, a real-time ledger that can house you know all asset classes you know at something like a goldman and is and is you know regulatory kind of approved in terms of accuracy you know and, and can always keep up is incredibly hard to do, right? I mean, and, and so, um, um, and you know, what you'd find in the back office is you actually get more time to do it like a proper technology project, right? Where it's a three-year thing, it's going to take us three years, here's the 20 people, you know, um, um, which is, you know, it's hard to do, do have take that type of an approach uh, in, in the front office. So, yeah, so I think, I think, I think, I think also, uh, I witnessed this firsthand, right, which was, and people, you know, colleagues of mine on the on the in the front office or in operations themselves. I think 2008 was actually pretty helpful for um, uh, making a lot of people aware of the uh, the rest of the firm, because 2008 was 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 about the middle office and the back office, you know, and the firms, the existential, you know, are we going to be in business tomorrow? That all of the banks went through to 2008. You know, the people that saved the day was 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 operations. It was the back office. It was you know what we called the federation at Goldman. It was um, you know the finance team, the treasury team. It was all about liquidity, right? And um, you know, which actually kind of it kicked off a whole bunch of projects going forwards, right? Which was about because people we need everybody was trying to find liquidity, right? It's where is it in the bank? How do I get access to it? How can I? How can I? How can I monetize it? How can I liquidate? Um, um, but, um, yeah, that really checked, that really did change things. It changed things in terms of how leaders were perceived at, you know, at all levels of the, at, at all kind of all areas within the firm. Yeah. Cause like you say, in, in, in a firm like a Goldman, you've got 30 to 50 different businesses, each one having their own representation of where liquidity was in, in their books. And to then be able to centralize that must've been literally a, just a, a switch of, wow, this, this has changed so much. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's kind of it's 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 uh, I mean, capital markets as it is today is actually it's really only thirty years old, right? And it was all put in place kind of 30, 30 years ago. And and back then, everything was set up as individual businesses. Every business had a partner, it had a technology team, it had a legal team. They were just in, they just were under the same kind of roof, right? Uh, certainly at Goldman, that's how the partnership model worked. And and actually, most firms have been fighting against that ever since then to try to kind of consolidate, to try to centralize, to try to push everything together. Because if you did it today, you would have everything be integrated because you just want to get one view. It's just obvious, right? But but everything started out separate. Um, and it actually, it, 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 it leads into a really important thing that we're doing at Velox and the way that we talk about Velox is, is um, when we talk about a, a front office that is, um, um, you know, not modern or is 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 um, kind of behind the times. One of the ways it's behind the times is its ability to monetize data, because data is still stuck in these silos. You know, and and if you're a you know, what is a trader? I mean, something we talk about at Velox is aggregate, analyze, act. Right? If you're a trader, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get access to the best possible information in real time. You're trying to do the analysis that you need to do, kind of in real time, and then you're trying to act on it. Right? And so. One of the things that we're, you know, the Velox infrastructure allows you to do is, is actually identify and pull in you know, all of that data in real time you know, into one place so that, um, um, you know, so that, you know, so that traders are able to, to, to monetize it. 
Um, and a lot of that is just because of, you know, the way that 30 odd years ago, all these businesses were, were kicked off and put in place. Maybe it's amazing it's... how many things that you deal with that seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> I've had it that. It turned out to be not such a great idea over the fullness of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Both inside and outside of work, I've experienced that as well. So I can, uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe 96 in Hong Kong, you had a few experiences yourself in the, I, in the cocktail I bar. Wouldn't able, I wouldn't be able to comment. <laughs> so maybe not 30 years ago, but let's push back 20 years ago. You've, when you started experiencing leadership in the world of investment banking back then, um, you and I have spoken about it in the past, but it was it was norm it, it, it wasn't normal to to stay a techie for too long when it comes to, to management. And then you got to this point where, and this is well before I got into recruitment, but there was this point in the industry where it sounds like tech and algo just completely took over. And then yeah. as a leader, so for you, you've probably gone started as a techie, then gone up a sort of managerial route, being taught how to do things one way, and then all of a sudden hitting this sort of tech revolution, and then just having to change the way you lead completely. So where did that, yeah. where did that, where did tech and algo really come from when it comes to banking? Cause that's all we know today, but it, it wasn't always the case. Um, right. I mean, I mean, it, it, tough question, it, by the way, I'm not expecting you to, to, to answer it as, yeah, as smoothly, yeah. but I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a bit. Yeah. We need to unpack that a little bit. I think the, um, the, um, you know, the, it's, I mean, a lot of it's just about automation, right? A lot of it is about, um, I mean, a lot of it was driven by regulation for a start, which was during that kind of rise of technology, rise of algo, you, you could argue that that was just in response to the way regulation changed and, and pushed, um, because back in, in the 90s, there was, um, there was, it was the Wild West, you know, and, and then a lot of regulation came in, especially in the equity space, uh, which pushed um, a lot more uh, things to be, um, you know, a lot more electronic. You got rid of this, um, you know, the specialist trading manually on the open outcry. You know, everything became kind of um, electronic and, and exchange based. Um, um, and because of, you know, the more and people realize that the more um, 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 tech, the more tech, the more electronic things became, the more the easier it was to surveil, surveil them, right? Because basically everything you did you know, I think of oats regulations, every single um, leg that a trade took was, was kept and sent to the regulator, right? So the, the, it, 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 it becoming electronic, becoming, becoming technology-based was, was the right thing to do to be able to police the industry. Um, but I think also, um, you know, I think that, you know, I, I don't even know the leadership, what, what, you know, in terms of leaders and certainly, you know, one of the things that kind of heavily affected my career, right, was, yeah, the leadership change, there's a, what was expected of leaders changed over that time as well. Mm. And I think um, it's kind of related, but it's kind of unrelated as well in some ways. Um, um, I think that, because um, I think it probably happens in other industries, you know, there's a real, um, it's very difficult, you know, a leader in technology is an odd thing. Because um, if you're running a large organization, let's say, and when I say large, I mean like, let's say north of 100 people, right? Um, what are you better off knowing, right? Are you better off being, you know, a manager of people and, and being able to kind of get the best leadership team underneath you that can know how to get the best leadership team under them and kind of make that organization function? You know, or are you better off, but, but who's going to make the technology decisions there? Who's going to know that you know 
we need to move to Java or we need to move to Scala or we need to start, um, you know, um, building everything in, in the web browser, right? And, and really pushing those things through um, or, you know, instituting these coding practices because that's what's going to, you know, make more efficient code. And so what's actually happened over the, what I've observed is it's kind of a bit of a pendulum uh, effect where, you know, I remember being told to stop coding, you know, <laughs> relative, pretty early on in my career um, because, you know, you can't get promoted if you're, you know, spending all your days kind of, uh, you know, you need to get out there being a leader, you need to be communicating, you need to be, um, and, um, but then the pendulum kind of swung back, you know, towards, uh, you know, kind of like 2010, let's say, where, you know, there was a, there was an emphasis on trying to have technology leaders that were very, very technical. And, um, um, and the kind of pendulum kind of, it was a pendulum, it kind of overcompensated somewhere in the middle is really where, um, you know, technology leaders need to be. And so, you know, if I look back at my career and I kind of, um, what advice I would give people is <clears throat> even if you're being told to do more of one and not the other, you need to make sure that, you know, behind the scenes, you're, you're keeping yourself, especially if you've been told to do less, less technical hands-on stuff behind the scenes, you need to keep yourself technical because at the end of the day, it is about technology and it's about leading technologists at the end of the day comes about, comes by being able to lead them from a technical level as well as, you know, on the, on a, on a, on the kind of human level. And no, I think, um, you know, I think, I think, I think what, 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 what history has shown us now, when you look at the people that are running, you know, that created Facebook or the people that created Google or the people that created these, these firms, I mean, the very, very technical individuals, right. That kind of like really saw through, um, um, you know, the technology that was available and kind of leverage that technology at a very kind of low level um, to turn it into a, to turn it into a business. Do, do you think just really, really quickly on that point that you just made, is that because they are less worried about money and they are just worried about a solution as opposed to revenue, do you think, with, with those tech businesses? Everyone always says you should only open up a business if you're, you're doing it to solve a problem rather than trying to make money. If someone sits there saying, I want to open up a business because I want to make money, it will never yeah. be as successful. Um, I, I just think it's the technology idea that's, that, is, that is the X factor at the end of the day. Cool. You know, you know um, you, if you unpeel something like a Facebook, I mean, you could argue that, it, you know, obviously there's other factors, right? And right time, right place, right time. But like, you know, Facebook was, was the, the kind of monetization of a technology, right? In the beginning. Yeah. Right? yeah. It, was, it was like having that an understanding, you know, at a very low level, how that all worked and being able to, uh, you know, being able to monetize it. Just same, to go, same goes for Google and search and things like that. To, just to wrap up on, on the leadership. And I want, cause I think what people have learned today is they've learned about your background. They've learned about Velox. They've learned about what it can provide to companies. They'll understand why companies need firms like Velox. And it's not that any firms are making mistakes. It's just, you can't simply do all of it. And you do need to outsource it, especially as we grow and as, as technology yep. becomes a, a larger part of what we are. And when firms aren't tech businesses, like the capital market firms aren't, then they need to rely on, on the specialists to do that. One last thing that I think is really valuable for people to learn from you is, is you have gone through different stages of leadership where it's been managerial, technical, you've gone through the ranks and you've worked at different firms. Where do you, where do you, where do you learn the most from when you are a leader? So if someone's coming up through a bank now, if someone's working at a company, where are they going to learn 
mostly from to become a good leader? Do they learn from good leaders? Do they learn from bad leaders? Do they, do they learn externally by reading books and looking at people out there, you know, icons? How do you typically do it? Because a lot of people say it's just through osmosis and just working underneath a good leader makes them who they are today and they learn from it. But are there other ways that you, you're able to sort of learn how to become the head of equities tech at Goldman's? Right. Um... Yeah, I mean, there's definitely not one size fits all, right? So I, I think um, 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 you, I think you know, the advice I would give is ev everything you do, every conversation you have, you know, has the ability to tell you something about how effective you are, right? So I think it, it and and um, and so I, I would, you have to try to be like constantly learning about that, like. Did, did I get what I needed out of that conversation? Right? Did I influence that person? And if I didn't, why not? Right? I, I think I think you know you have to basically set yourself up to be constantly learning and constantly thinking. Did I do that as well as I could? And if not, could I do it? Could I do it harder? Could I do it? Could I do it differently? Um, um, I think that um, you know. So there's that. I would say when people fail, it's easier to, th to answer this question by looking at people that failed or didn't realize, didn't realize their potential and, you know, what did they do wrong? Well, yeah, I think if you can be, if you're too kind of like, if you're not, if you're not introspective enough about what are my limitations? And so, you know, what, how am I perceived as my, what, and a lot of that is about also, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter what you are, it's how you're perceived, right? So you've got to kind of build up this picture of, you know, this is how people think I am, yeah. and then understand um, what the limitations are of that perception, and then work and kind of work against it, right? And and be and be make a point of, um, you know, so if people think you're not technical enough, then you need to have a strategy around when you do something that is technical, making sure that you're triply amplifying it to kind of, um, you know, to, um, um, you know, to what you know to to to, to kind of offset that. Um, I think the other thing as well, why people fail is they have a tendency to be too, people can be too choosy and too picky, you know, about the types of opportunities they're given. And I think over time, as you get older, you realize that the value is the opportunity and not necessarily what the opportunity was, you know? And so if I look back at the things that made me successful, it's because I just, I, I was, I, for whatever reason, I was, um, you know, the opportunities I got, I, I, I waited the fact that it was an opportunity over the fact that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily exactly in line with what I thought I would be doing. And I just, you know, and I just kind of got on with it. So, you know, that would be another, um, another good piece of advice. Um, I think, it, but, but, you know, I think that, that that kind of like constant like evaluation, I think is really important because the thing is time is also um, you're kind of a great ally in this, which is why, you know, as people become more senior and over time, they kind of become, you know, kind of more effective is because you get to sometimes a decision you take, it, you don't know the results for years. Yeah. You no, know, especially in like, from a like a lot of the Velox learnings, right? I mean, and we talk about a lot about, a lot about this with, um, you know, with, with clients, which is, um, the average life of a system is, you know, let's say five to 10 years. Right. So if you're hiring somebody, you know, um, you, you, I, I mean, I, I do this, right. You, you want to make sure that you're hiring people that have lived the life cycle of their decisions. Right. Cause it's only really once you've lived, you know, lived through it, 
you know, you can really tell because some things like, for instance, you'll build a system in the first year, it's all wonderful because the issues will only present themselves when the hundred, we have a hundred users or, you know, volume goes up by a thousand percent or the technology team turns over and all the new people come in and they don't know what the hell, they can't figure out how to use the platform. So it's only over the, you know, over the lot when you, when you kind of open the aperture, right. And, and look at things, zoom out, you know, you can really start to see, oh my God, that seemed like a great decision at the time, but I was just totally wrong. Right. And, and, and <laughs> you know, learning, learning from that is, and you, you know, no, who could, it's not like anybody can really blame you for that because you, you did the decision based on the information you had, but you know, um, you know, over time you're able to realize that there's a long-term, you know, consequence of that, of that, you know, of that, of that, of that approach. That's brilliant. John, I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on today and, and having the conversation. John and I have, have been trying to put this in for, I don't know how long now, but it's been moved around in our calendar a ridiculous amount of times. Um, so Happy that we've finally been able to do it. I'm sure that everyone else listening in is, is really keen to see how Vadox get on this year. Um, you're an absolute gen. I wish you all the best. And <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Cheers, John.